Welcome to the Success Coaching Podcast. On today's episode, our guest, Don Hobbs, shares his own personal journey to success. Because success is a journey, not a destination. Here's the hosts of the Success Coaching Podcast, Todd Foster, Alyssa Stanley, and Kelly Scar. Welcome back and thank you for joining us on the Success Coaching Podcast. My name is Alyssa Stanley and I am here with Todd Foster and Kelly Scar, where we have the privilege of talking with the Don Hobbs. As Success Enterprises Ambassador and co-founder of the International Association of Expert Partners, Don continues his legacy of helping people to reach their greatest life by teaming up with the most legendary brand in personal development. Reuniting with the works of Jim Rohn and other industry giants, he brings his true passion to success in moving entrepreneurs and high-minded people to think and live a bigger, more fulfilled life. As a speaker, coach, trainer, and business consultant for more than three decades, Don has spoken to nearly 2 million people. Thanks for joining us, Don. Thanks, guys. Nice to be with all three of you. Thank you for being on the show, my friend. Really appreciate it. Um, you know, you and I haven't known each other for a long time. Uh, however, I've known you and known who you are and what you've done. Um, maybe for our listeners, maybe you can give us a, a brief synopsis of uh, who the real Don Hobbs is and kind of take us through, uh, you know, where you started and, and how you uh, became the ambassador for success uh, enterprises. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks, Kelly. What's well, It's great being here with you guys, of course. And uh you, know, you guys are, I love the show you're doing and I love what we're, we're able to do together through uh, success as well. Uh, you know, my, uh, my background, I started off really young. I got, I got into the seminar space uh, through a guy that I hope everybody will know. Jim Rohn is his name. And uh, Jim was kind of one of the godfathers or grandfathers of the personal development space. And I was fortunate at 18 years old to walk into a big ballroom in Southern California where he was speaking and a thousand people showed up. And, you know, at 18, I, I, I'd never experienced anything like that. Anyway, I, I was infatuated. I, it was date night. I didn't want to be there. And I remember not wanting to be there. And within 15, 20 minutes, I'm taking notes and totally like, Oh my gosh, I love this guy. And I walked up to him at the first break and said, I want to, I want to be, I think I said, I want to be you. But if I didn't say that, I implied it. I want to do what you do and be you. And, um, I just was like, I could just see the, the power of personal development and what it meant and what people were getting from it. And, you know, from that day forward, I mean, for me, it was always about how do I get help people get turn the lights on when they see it, when they get it, when they, you know, they, there's that moment, that breakthrough. And, and um, I got to hang with Jim for a little while. I went to a bunch of his programs and finally uh, later that year asked him if I could work for him. And I did. And then, you know, it was really interesting because I got a chance to work with him uh, for eight years. But during that time, about three, four months after I started, this big gawky kid walks in the camp uh, named Tony Robbins. And Tony was with us for uh, a little bit. He was 17 years old. So, you know, we're working together for, our, I think, until he was like 21 or 22. And then he went off to do whatever he does. I don't know, that strange firewalk thing. And, uh, you know, we, we've been friends for all these years. But um and then I, I stayed and became president of Jim's company. And, you know, to, to answer your question, I really loved that piece of personal growth where we get a chance to, and, and I love it about what we're doing, even at success. I love the fact that we get a chance to be in people's lives and talk about significant things that matter because, you know, an idea can change somebody's life. 
uh, you know, the right question can change somebody's life. I mean, there's so many things that we do and we get to play in that space. And for me, it's always been my heart. Um, so I got to do that. And then when I left Jim's company, uh, I started a company that was big in the real estate space, got really well known, not in the, in the big speaking space, if you will, but in the personal, uh, uh, uh real estate space. And then did that for a lot of years and, and really became the biggest training company in the, in the industry. And then uh, eventually I got a chance to play with uh, Gary Keller. Some people know Gary uh, because he's not only the founder of Keller Williams, but he also has a great book called uh, The One Thing. And we played with that for a while and built some training and coaching around that. And then eventually this, uh, this EXP thing happened. And uh, the significant other in my life, and you know, we'll talk about Allison, I'm sure, today at some point, uh, far smarter, far more attractive, far brighter. I mean, it's just it, far better. I, I definitely, you know, am uh, married up and, and I, we call each other husband and wife, even though we're not. But, uh, you know, it's been super fun being around her. And she saw what EXP was building and took off and called me one day as I was Gary's partner and said, I'm leaving Keller and I'm going over to that company. And so that was a really interesting time. And when she and I got together and started really dating, like we were you know, fell in love. We were together and I'm Gary Keller's partner and she's over at DXP, which for some people may not mean anything, but it's, it's kind of like fire and water right now. It's sort of, you know, oil and water, whatever it doesn't mix. And, uh, eventually my relationship with uh, Gary was tested as I was sleeping with the enemy. So, uh, you know, it, it didn't work out well, uh, for the end of our relationship. However, Allison and I are solid as a rock. And now, uh, you know, we get to ch the chance to play, you know, for a year after we as EXP bought success. I got to play uh, in the role of the president. We got a bunch of stuff done. We got this coaching company uh, lifted. And then uh, I've, I've been uh, put in the role now of like ambassador. So what does that mean? I don't know. I, I speak every so often on behalf of success and get to show up in my pretty face, which, you know, most of these people aren't going to get to see, uh, gets to show up as, as part of that. But we're having a lot of fun with it. And of course, the EXP side is growing faster than anything that's ever happened in real estate. And success is really exciting because at 124 years, soon to be 125 years, um, it's iconic. It was what Tony and I were reading back when we were kids. It was our little business Bible. And I feel like I've just fallen into a pot of jam to get to hang with people like you. The whole crew, right? I just love the conversations because I'm dealing with people and living with people and working with people who are about people. That's been the most important element of my life for all these years. So little of the story, of course, there's lots of little moving parts in there and failures and falling down and all that stuff. And uh, today we're living in Puerto Rico and it's 84 degrees today. And it, how, how, what's the temperature tomorrow? 84 degrees. What was it yesterday? 84 <laughs> degrees. It's always 84 degrees here. So you brought up Tony Robbins. You brought up Jim Rohn. I would love to know what they were like off stage. Mm -hmm. Who were the real Tony and Jim's out there? You know, Jim is a, a very interesting story because, you know, first of all, he's been gone for 12 years. In fact, like in a few days, he'll be is the anniversary of that. Uh, he'll be gone for 12 years. So a lot of people don't even know who he is yet. If you've been around, you know, some years, you, you definitely have to find him. And by, by the way, very findable on YouTube and all that. But Jim was just like Jim all the time. Like he was that guy. He was a philosopher. He kept his journals. He was thoughtful. He was, you know, thoughty. I mean, he was thoughtful as a human being. He was thoughty in that he was always contemplating and, you know, pondering. And I mean, he had, those were the words that he would use, right? That was how he was. Um, he ended up with the title of like America's foremost 
business philosopher. I, you know, that was long after I was gone. And I was like, that's perfect because that's exactly what he was. I mean, he was our Aristotle of our era or something, right? He was, he was that guy. But uh, Jim was um, super easy to get along with. I mean, he never, like, he, you never saw anger. You never saw, uh, he was just like, um, I won't say he was flawless because obviously he'd, you know, he'd gone through a couple of divorces. I mean, he had some ups and downs financially. He, he was a human being, but he was really, um, had really mastered his emotions and really mastered his mind. And really looked at things with a different perspective. You know, when things went bad, you know, a room is falling apart or, you know, something goes wrong with the hotel. There was never an upset. It was like, you know, listen, we're not dead. We're, we're good. You know, and there was he was very even keeled. Now, Tony, on the other hand, you know, Tony had a great, great intention, but he didn't have his priorities uh, probably all that straight in the early days. But, you know, I mean, he was dynamic from the the earliest days. I mean, we used to compete pretty head to head on sales and things and he was deadly and the guy would go out and, you know, he was big and intimidating anyway, but he would just take his big hand and shake your hand and probably hold and squeeze until you bought. And, and, uh, was really, <laughs> really a, a closer so much so that a lot of his sales would unravel because as soon as he went away, they'd be like, what the hell? I didn't mean to sign up for that. You know, it's like, <laughs> so, um, he was a really interesting character. And what was really fun, uh, uh, tell you some, I got so many Tony stories, good grief. Uh, and because so many people know him and he's so current even today, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. But he, uh, when he left and he was doing this firewalk thing, this crazy firewalk thing, you know, what the heck is that all about, right? And he used to call Ron and I and go, hey, I want you guys to take the program. We're like, we're not, I mean, we, you know, be cordial to him. Yeah, of course, Tony. Yeah, we'd love to do that someday, but we're always busy. And, uh, don't, you know, we got laundry to do and cut, hair to cut and stuff. And, and, uh, and, you know, and then one day he caught me because I was, I was in town and he had already told me he was in Denver. And he said, what are you doing this weekend? I said, we finally got a weekend off. And he goes, good. I'm, I'm flying into Denver. You got to come and take this program and really stuck me with it. Right. And uh, anyway, when I took it, of course, it was pretty magnificent. Keep in mind, this was uh, at a grammar school in Denver with 106 people. So, I mean, this was like early day Tony Robbins. This is not arenas full of, you know, this is not 20,000 people or 18,000 people walking on fire. So, uh, you know, cool stuff. But Tony's always been, he was very hot-headed. He was very strong. Um, you know, I've known all the women in his life and, and Sage, who he's married to now, is finally kind of tamed, <laughs> has tamed the man. Uh, and he's, he's really a sweetheart. I, I said to him about a year ago, I said, you are, uh, you, your heart is so big and so open these days. And he said, I was always like this. I said, no, no, you were not. <laughs> you were definitely not always that way. He intended it. He just didn't know how to carry it off. Right. He, there was some, uh, stuff. So anyway, great guys. When you're that big of a personality, do you think that the <clears throat> the persona kind of overtakes? And do you think that they that they like knowing, you know, knowing Jim Rohn, knowing Tony Robbins like you do, do you think that their persona kind of took on a life of its own, Don? I mean, it, is it, it, you know, you're talking about who these guys really were, and it sounds to me like they had some failures, but you never really knew about that. And, you know, I guess secondary to that, isn't that, doesn't that apply some sort of, uh, um, ability from their audiences to see them as more as human. You know, Tony's pretty authentic and and comes clean with, you know, his 
early days, childhood, you know, all that stuff. You see that a lot. I think it's a little bit more of a current trend. I, uh, you know, there, there might've been a quick story about not being able to afford Girl Scout cookies, or there might've been a story or two that you would have heard. But the reality is that was not the era of transparency. That was the era of taking the stage and being the person everybody wanted to, to know. And, uh, you know, I like the, the current state. It's, it's much easier to be able to be real and not have to be perfect. Um, but, you know, what, what's great about Jim was he wasn't necessarily acting. That was really who he was. So he just right. didn't go back and tell you his history per se, except select stories that told, you know, made a point and, and, and drew a, a line between where he was and, and what he was trying to say. And, uh, you know, Tony's come out, of course, he's had some pretty tumultuous uh, childhood, as, I, as did I. And we, I, I told him one day, I said, we, we must have the same dad. It was been just a, we were off by a year or two, you know, <laughs> just, uh, but very similar stuff. And, you know, it wasn't the thing to talk about that. It was kind of like people wanted to see success. And now people want to see authenticity. And I think it's, it's a different era, which I'm really glad for, because it's, there was so much pressure to be something. I mean, I'm, I remember feeling that it, as I built my companies, I remember thinking, I have to be what they expect me to be. And, and frankly, I hated it. I, you know, I remember sitting in a mansion in Southern California and going, I don't even know how I got here. I don't even know if I like what I'm doing. I don't even know what I was doing, but how I'm living. I don't even know if I want this. But it kind of was a reflection of what I was supposed to show. And, you know, like I said, it, it, it was um, a very different time. And I'm really glad that time has changed. Don, I remember you telling us a story here a while ago about your dad visiting you at your home. Did it have any impact on shaping your future moving forward? Yeah, it's, uh, thanks, of course. And, and very happy to talk about that. You know, what, what I would say is, uh, and I'll tell you the story, but what I would say is what I've learned is vulnerability is one of our greatest strengths. And when we become vulnerable, it allows other people to meet us there and go, oh, it's okay to have my background or it's okay to come from where I came from. You know, it's obvious I can still make it. And so, um, you know, my, my dad was not a, a, a great guy in my life and uh, he didn't beat me, uh, but it was a total verbal abuse. And of course, there probably was some alcoholism. It was too early. It was before a lot of that became public and people talked about it. But um, I didn't have a relationship with him. I mean, I flat out didn't. I, you know, he was not in my life. He was not a big part of my life. I didn't want him in my life. I used to have to remind my assistant to, to remind me to call him just so I could, you know, call dad. You need to call dad once a month and just check in. And uh, but it was really like I, I had no interest in him. And uh, clearly he had no interest in in my life, or at least it appeared that way. And so it, when I kind of struck it big, <laughs> I, I, you know, remember Roan used to say, I think it was a quote from uh, uh, Frank Sinatra, the, you know, the best revenge is massive success. And there was a part of me, I'm sure, that kind of wanted to show off a little bit and, and say, you know, you you, you kind of missed the mark. You missed your kid. You know, you, you, you didn't you don't know what you had. Right. And I invited him to come out to California and he flew out to my house. And I remember him getting there. I had a big circular portico, a circular driveway with a portico over the front of it. And I parked my Bentley right in front just to make sure. And I don't even know if he knew what a Bentley was, but I, I was going to make sure he did not see it. <laughs> this was not in the garage, right? And uh, and I remember hearing the doors, you know, closing. They're here. They're here. And, uh, of course, 
I had these 10 foot iron doors, these wrought iron doors, you know, just enormous. And I remember like almost the timing, he rang the doorbell, let him wait, let him, let him just sit there and, and get the whole force. Right. And uh, then I opened the door. And of course, after all the pleasantries and the, you know, hugs and all that stuff, you know, here I am hoping, hoping that he would finally say, I'm so proud of you. And what he said was, he looked around and he looked up at the ceilings, the high ceilings, and he goes, "Why do you? What do you need all the space for?" <laughs> and, and I got to tell you, it was—I mean, it was one of those things. Like he just got here, and I'm wanting to go get the f out of here, you know, just like leave me alone. And uh, what was great about that was that was one of the icebreakers to wanting to have a relationship. And what I realized, and I'm not sure where you guys want to go with this, but what I realized was. Um, that a lot of my success, as we would see it, you know, success in the way that people look at success, things and cars and houses and money and stuff. A lot of my things were attracted through um, trying to prove myself enough. And, and, you know, there's, you know, the good news is the best revenge is massive success. Yes. And there's a part of that, which is like, it comes from a place of, uh, fear of not being enough instead of coming from a place of um, I know myself, this is what I want in my life and I can go create it or not create it. It's my life. And when I realized at that, not that moment, but in that time frame, like right after that happened, I began to analyze and go, why do I want all this? And was it about him and somebody noticing and going, wow, look at you. Because I hadn't had that, right? I, I just, I didn't have it as a kid for sure. And my dad and I did a bunch of healing uh, about two years later, two years, three years later, and uh, kind of got deep in in what had happened and childhood and all that. We laughed, we cried, we yelled at each other, and uh, mostly I yelled. But um, you know, we ha- we kind of had it out and got to a place of uh, new understanding. And ironically the assistant that used to have to remind me to call him. I called her one day and I said, okay, I just got up the phone with my dad. I'm going to go see him. And she's like, you're going to go see him. I said, yeah, book me a ticket for tomorrow. And he's like, you're going to go with see him. Like it was a shocker. And uh, literally it was the beginning that that conversation, that time was the beginning of a real transition. The other irony of it is that was October of whatever year that was 11, I think 11 years ago. And uh, he died on December 5th, like a month and a half later. And he wasn't sick. So it was really like healing in time. You know, I got to say what I needed to say, got to deal with the issues of the heart and yeah, pretty good stuff. Did either of you have guilt after that about possibly both being at fault somehow on the relationship not working in the beginning? He uh, did. He, (laughs) he, he said one line in the midst of all this barrage of stuff back and forth for two and a half, three hours on the phone. And he said, I've told people what lousy dad I was. And I was like, livid. Cause I was like, who have you told that you were a lousy father without calling me to tell me you were a lousy father. Right. And, uh, uh, there was a lot of that. And what, what was fascinating and really heartwarming was that when he passed his, uh, then in his wife, his, my, my stepmom, if you will, said to me that month and a half since the, that healing, she said, he's been so free. He was like, so lifted. Like he didn't have all that weight on his shoulders of what he wasn't and didn't and all of that, that he had probably been carrying his whole life. So I'm carrying one side of it. He's carrying the other side of it. 
and both of us were released. And uh, yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, it's not easy to do that. And I'm not suggesting everybody needs to rush out and have that experience. Uh, but almost all of us carry some baggage. And uh, sometimes it's defining baggage, or we allow it to be. So Don, seeing how Allison is the love of your life, it sounds like you actually gave up a career to be with her. How did you two meet in the first place? Was she the person that you stood up for date night when you went to see Tony Robbins? <laughs> no, I met, uh, I went through um, uh, two divorces. So I'll, uh, if, we're, if we're confessing, I uh, might as well tell it all, right? Uh, we don't need to get into all of it. But, uh, you know, I went through a, an early marriage and then uh, later in life, uh, uh, a marriage. When I moved to Austin, you know, I, uh, my then old buddy, uh, Gary Keller, called me one day and said, hey, I'm doing this book thing. And I'd love for you to be part of the this program and this company that I'm building and, and be a great guy to do it with. So I came to Austin and she was the first girl that I got introduced to uh, by some very good friends. And actually, I think you guys might know John and Holly Prescott. Mm -hmm. They introduced us and um, and it wasn't an instant take. So it was, I, you know, I kind of got smitten and uh, I worked really hard at it. And Allison kind of went around the block a few times with, uh, uh, with other parts of her life. And uh, I kept saying, to, I, I did say to her one time, I said, you know, the things that are, that you think are what you're looking for are someday not going to be important to you. You're going to wake up one day and see that what you've been searching for isn't what you wanted in the first place. And what you haven't been looking for is going to be you know, it's like you're going to have a whole new set of values. And she said, are you talking about you? And I said, no, I'm not talking about me, but maybe. But I'm just saying it's like that's what's going to that's what's going to happen. One day you're going to there's going to be that that day when you get it. And, uh, and later she said to me, you were talking about you. I said, well, kind of. But, it, you know, it's really like that's what has to happen in our growth and awareness. Right. We we go through stages and phases. And uh, when she finally kind of gave in, the funny part is, she, you know, we, we laugh about it and call it like. Off, off the movie, I call it 150 first dates because, good God, I worked really hard for a long time. And we go to, you know, see concerts, front row seats. And I mean, I did everything I could imagine to make this thing happen. And she and I'd go home alone. I mean, it was like <laughs> I'm still, still going. It just didn't work out the way I was expecting it to. And we'd have, to, you know, weeks and my mom would go, how's Alice? And I go, I don't know. I haven't heard from her in three weeks. You know, it's like, I don't know. And uh but, you know, my claim to fame was I lasted 150 first dates. Her claim was, claim to fame was uh, she finally got me away and recruited me from Gary Keller. So uh, we both had our victories in that kind of kind of fun stuff. My wife and I, she says this a lot. If you were to to, you know, write it all out on paper, on paper, we weren't a fit at all. Like there was just so much, so many differences there. But somewhere along the line and we just, we clicked and she saw the potential and, and knew that there was a great potential for the two of us. And eventually the paper stuff was all going to work itself out. And it sounds like everything kind of worked itself out. And Allison finally saw the light. Hopefully she's listening to this. She did see the light. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I always tell her. She saw the light for sure. No, it's, you know, and it's true. And we're going through, uh, you know, it's, Life is about growth, right? I mean, life is about growth. And so you're going to have different sets of things you're looking for. You're going to, uh, different people are going to come into your life. I mean, friends come and go, right? I mean, people peel into your life and then some friends stay a lifetime and some come and go. And um, I'm not sure that, you know, I want to promote that relationships are like that, but, but there is an element to, you know, what, 
what is it that you're looking for in your life at this time? And some people grow together. Some people grow apart. And uh, for us, uh, you know, it's a it's a great combination. She's uh, brilliant, beautiful and and uh, smart. And, and I'm none of those things. So it makes a perfect combination. It's a it's a it's a nice fit. You know, I get it. What's the old Jerry Maguire? You complete me. <laughs> I don't believe in that at all, by the way. But I'm just saying it's a, it's a funny thought. <laughs> uh. You know, what's interesting about that? the questions you've asked and the things that you guys talk about because you get pretty, you know, you get in the weeds with people, right? And it's interesting because no matter how people look like their lives are together, everybody behind the closed doors, there's always something different than what we think is happening. And I remember, you know, again, much more surface level, but I remember 2008, 9 and 10, thinking to myself, it was such a great revealing place where people had lost so much. And yet you walk into an office, your office, and you, hey, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Great. You know, and everybody's waving to the other and everybody's suffering and going through such stuff. And nobody wanted to talk about it because everybody thought they were the only one going through that. And what we come to realize is we're all going through something. Right. And we're we're having the human experience. So it's part of why we talked about earlier. I think it's a different era where, you know, transparency, vulnerability is at a premium because people really value knowing how you that you made it through things that you've been there too that they're not alone and um you know not they're not the only failures they're not the only people going through stuff they're not the only ones who've had challenging times and let's face it you know we've all done it so it's not fun where you're going through it but there's a lot of lessons to learn for sure I love that you brought up transparency. So let's even be more transparent, Don. If you looked back five years ago, are you where you thought you'd be today? No, I don't. I think I had a different thought about where things were going to be. Five years ago, I was still hanging out and building some stuff in another company that you guys all know. And I thought that had a future. You know, a lot of things imploded on that. But again, you know, one of the things that I realized, and this is part of my dilemma, is having a job ain't my style. Like I haven't had a job since I was 18 mm-hmm. and then kind of did a thing with Gary. That was a, a you know, Gary Keller uh, that took a job and, and that probably wasn't the smartest thing for me. And I like having independence and I like being able to uh, create my own way. And yeah, I, I think there's an element to that, which is who knew that that would not continue. It seemed like a great idea I love being around smart people. I love being around Glenn Sanford. I guess you guys just did a podcast with Glenn. I mean, I love being around smart people. Let's face it. It's, it's just, it rocks, right? To see somebody who's really got it together, who's really doing big things, has a big vision. You know, we, I, I get inspired by people like that. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I, I, I get inspired by being around those people. And so did I get where I thought I was going? No. Am I getting to a different place, which now feels like a great place? In a similar time frame, yeah, probably so. That all we're doing between success and EXP, these two worlds that we're living in, both things are kind of exploding. I mean, I and I don't mean exploding like in a bad way. I don't mean like blowing up. I mean like, you know, they're they're really uh, taken off. So there's good stuff happening, and I got to say, I feel honored, and I'm really thrilled that at this point in my life, I have these things to do. Like this is great stuff. 
being able to give and teach and coach and train and help and develop and you know, it's, it's kind of what I've been doing my whole life. If you're enjoying this episode, please rate, review, follow, and subscribe to the Success Coaching Podcast. You spent quite a few years with Jim Rohn Enterprises, and at one point, you were running the entire organization. Can you take us through what happened between Jim Rohn and Hobbs Herder and how Hobbs Herder actually came to be a reality? Yeah, fun story. I knew I was going to be with Jim Rohn for freaking ever. I mean, I just loved the man. He was my father figure. He was my father figure. I mean, he was really that to me, you know, as a very impressionable age and he was a great guy and I love being around him. And I, uh, and then he got married to a woman that, uh, unfortunately she was, she was running stuff, uh, from behind the scenes. So we'd make decisions during the day. He'd go home the next day, he'd come back and say, uh, Hey, I've been thinking about what we talked about yesterday. I want to do that differently. And I'd be like, Oh my gosh, really? Like, Anyway, it was clear to me that it was not my show anymore. And uh, so I I didn't know what to do with it. I mean, honestly, the one thing I would say about that that occurs to me is I didn't have the emotional wherewithal to know how to handle that situation. He was so close, such a big part of my life. And to say, you know, like I feel ripped up by the fact that this woman has taken this place that, you know, whatever. So I resigned. I just quit. I, I left a letter of resignation and she called me the next day and said, Jim, got your letter. He's highly disappointed. And, and, uh, at the way you handle it. And I said, I don't know what else to do. Yvonne and adios. And, uh, and so I was looking for a thing because to be honest with you, I didn't have a plan. I, you know, it was like, it wasn't like I went, I'm going to develop a company and then I'm going to figure out what to do. And then I'll leave Jim Rohn and do that. I had no clue. And, uh, so between those two points, there were a couple of people that had been involved with Jim through the years. And I remember, you know, being kind of uh, hiring one of them to be one of my salespeople, Herder of Hobbs Herder uh, fame, and then another one um, that was doing a program. And we started promoting his programs. And to be honest with you, a funny story, we would promote his programs. I was a great promoter. I mean, I would fill huge rooms full of people. And then people would go, his seminar sucked. You were really good. But, you know, because we would do a presentation, right? We'd go into an, an office or a company, whatever, and speak and then sell tickets. And, uh, and they go, you were great. And so I started going, you know, at least if I was doing my own programs, I would change if they were not good. And I think I've got enough stuff that I could do this. And so literally I one day just said, screw it. We can do our own. And I said to her, do you want to start a company? And uh, we were kind of searching, Kelly, uh, to be honest with you. I knew I didn't want to be Jim Rohn Jr. I mean, it was, you know, I'm, I'm much more comfortable with using Jim stuff now because he's in my head and in my heart all the time. I mean, there's no way I could go through days without having, uh, you know, dropping quotes and thinking of things and going the moments that we had and, and things that we did together. Um, but at that time, uh, I didn't want to be Jim Rohn Jr. I didn't want to have that. I, Ziegler was out there. There were a few other people that were training and we're teaching time management, we're teaching sales. What are we teaching? And we knew that real estate seemed like a natural niche. And frankly, in that time frame, real estate was coming into its own. It was a, it was when mom and pops were moving into the franchise world and they were consolidating. So there was a lot of movement and a lot of companies that were forming in bigness. You know, they were starting to grow, and so we really thought that was a great opportunity for us. And um, we started doing the seminars that were like, you know, time management, and selling, and you know, three keys to selling, and 
six suggestions for marketing and whatever. And this little personal branding, personal marketing idea. It was like 30 minutes out of a whole day. And we did do the little survey at the end, right? What did you like? What did you get the most? What did you like the most? What did you like the least? What would you change? You know, all that stuff. And people would go, that personal marketing stuff was amazing. Like we never thought about branding ourselves. Who, who does that? You know, because at the time everybody was joining, they were consolidating into Century 21 and wearing gold coats. They were, they were moving into the big companies. And we were going, no, unless I ask for Todd by name, you know, you're screwed. You can be part of the best company in the country and it doesn't matter. So that became the beginning of it. And we, we kind of rode that out. We just saw there was a trend here and we started expanding that and expanding it. And there was no, I mean, I will say this, if you go back, you can check the dates out, go back to 1986 and you look at the personal marketing stuff, just look it up and figure out when it started. There was none. I don't care if it was real estate. I don't care if it was financial services. I don't care what you looked at. There was nobody building a personal brand. Everything was about corporate. So our stuff was pretty cutting edge and uh, we just kept extending it. For, then it became a day of, of that. Then it became two days. Then it became three days. And of course, if you teach that stuff and people are the impression people got that, that, you know, what they were left with is if you brand yourself and build your own brand inside that space. Now, it's I would say it's true in any industry, but for sure in real estate, what would happen is you'd get these calls going, hey, come list my property. Hey, we don't we don't know you, but we, we've seen your stuff forever and we just want you to come in. So it was like so easy. People just came to the to the agents. Right. And in real estate, it always been call and call and call and call. You got to pick up the phone and call. You got to go knock on doors. And for the first time in history, clients were flocking to these realtors. So then we had to deal with mindset because would you allow yourself to be seen? Like, will you allow yourself to show up in a way that people didn't, you know, it wasn't bragging. It was just like showing up as the authenticity we're talking about today that's so common that wasn't at that time. And the second thing is, will you, um, do you know what to do with clients if you got three times as many or five times as many? Like you're already stressed out doing your, you know, 12 units a year. We get you 80 units a year. What the heck do you do with that? And literally people were going from like, I, I just talked to some of them today in, in a program I did early this morning. She did 2.7 million her first year. One year later, uh, 10.4 million. So that 400% increase. One year later, almost 20 million. One year later, almost 30 million. I mean, it was like massive growth. And those are numbers that nobody had ever heard of before in that time frame. And um, so we had to teach them systems and structures. And really what we came from to was finally, we're teaching people how to do business instead of how to sell real estate. Like we never got into real estate sales. We never even taught people scripts or any of that stuff. You know, it was, why, why do you need a script for? They're calling and going, listen, listen, my home. <laughs> You know, how do you overcome objections? Well, I don't get any objections. So Hobbs Herder was born out of that and listening to the client and watching the need and watching where people respond and uh, and then figuring out we were we were smart enough to figure that part out. We were lucky enough to be at the right place at the right time. So I'm curious in between uh, Jim Rohn and, and uh, Hobbs Herder, you'd mentioned uh, your good buddy, Tony Robbins. Was there any ever ever any thought about joining Tony and, and what he was doing? Not, not, not at all. No way. Interesting. I knew too much about him at that time. No, he, he was, that was in his, uh, that was in his days when he wasn't as easy to get along with, uh, his less evolved days. He left a wake of a lot of bodies at that time. I mean, again, you know, we, we probably did too. I'm just saying I was very aware of Tony's 
tendencies at that time. I want to be very clear because he's a different guy today. I mean, I, I love Tony with all my heart and, and he's really a good guy and, and such a special man. I mean, almost nobody that I've ever seen has taken life to the level he has. Even people that have more money, by far, he's the most on purpose person by far that I've ever met. Now, not so much at that time. That never crossed my mind. In fact, the thought would be, don't do that. Personal branding, I think, is is such an interesting conversation. I, you know, I got in the, into the real estate business in 2007 and <clears throat> quickly became a disciple of Gary Vaynerchuk probably by about 2010. And he is a contemporary that was really talking about personal branding and utilizing social media to do so. You know, at that time, Twitter was probably one of the largest social networks to, to help build that personal brand. I'm still over there. Not a lot of people are still there. I've got like 3,300 followers and I just tweet political stuff because nobody's listens to it anyways. So it's just a place for me to go and vent. Uh, you know, Instagram is really big, you know, Facebook, maybe not so much anymore. How do you see the personal branding space today as compared to, um, you know, back in 1986? I mean, obviously the technology is different. Is Are the principles still the same? Principles primarily are the same, primarily, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that. But I think the biggest thing is uh, what's changed is marketing was a very expensive sport for a lot of years. It was an expensive sport. If you were playing in the big leagues, you know, Nike having to run massive amounts of commercials, uh, you know, today that game has changed completely. But personal branding, there wasn't a lot of outlets. People, that's what people you say. You know, I had somebody introduce me today and they said they were they were great. They were the best. They were amazing and they were really expensive. And I said, no, we weren't expensive. We were expensive compared to what realtors were used to paying. But if you'd gone into the personal, if you went into the marketing world and you said, what is it going to cost for a bank to do a whole campaign? You know, it would have been one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and we were charging twelve or something. Right. It was just radically different. But for a realtor, they never thought in terms of spending money like that. So but what I would say is at that time, there was such limited uh, experiences. I mean, what did you have? You had direct mail. I mean, again, let's go back. It, it depends on when you, you know, the, uh, Gore inter- invented the Internet in 92, I think it was. So, uh, you know, th- that's when some things changed because the email came along. Uh, you know, <laughs> thanks for laughing. Uh so, you know, email changed some things because that obviously was part of the Vanderchuk deal, right? Uh, social media changed everything because, again, we didn't know what it was. All we knew was there was something here and we could get seen, but nobody knew how to make money with it. I mean, now we're starting to see it. And, of course, it's funny how we, we figured out Facebook and yet Facebook is kind of fading. I mean, it's certainly gone, but it's it's on the fade. Instagram is next. TikTok is next, right? These next platforms, what's next? But the great news is today, building a brand is so much more affordable. And then there's the concepts. And that's what you asked about. How do you carry a brand? I mean, people are out just doing um, videos willy nilly. It's an old phrase, willy nilly. I never say that, but they're doing it willy nilly. And, And they're shooting videos. But to what point? To what target? To what? To what content? To what? To why? Why? Why that? Why? Why? Why are we just doing a mishmash of so much stuff instead of saying, "What's my target market? Who's my avatar?" I mean, if you really walk it down, that hasn't changed. Target strategy, then tools. Well, the tools have changed. The mediums changed. Media has changed. But the top two, they're the same. You got to have a target. 
and you got to have a strategy. And where people go so wrong today, and in you know in the real estate space, clearly one of the challenges we have is that people are selling stuff. So we're going to buy that guy's website or that company's whatever, and that's going to fix my problem instead of looking at what am I trying to do? Who am I trying to appeal to? And then how do I use this tool? Oh, you know what? This tool is not the best tool for me doing what I'm going to do, getting the people I want to get to. That's not the best. What would be better is something else, but they don't have those strategies. And that's where I really think the, the gap in, at least in personal branding is, that's the big gap, right? And you, you know, if you throw enough uh, uh, fame at it, I mean, some of those, the rock stars, the pop stars, the actors and actresses, they can get away with some of that stuff. Some of the YouTubers, the TikTokers, you know, they can get away with some of that stuff in that they're building fame and fortune. I was looking at some of the, the, the biggest, uh, richest uh, YouTubers and, you know, 20, 25, 30, 40, 50 million dollars, these young kids, what do they represent? You know, they've built a following and then they go, OK, now somebody comes along and goes, hey, we like your brand. We'd like you to attach to something. So that, that's one way of doing it. But if you're in a business, you've got to figure out who you're appealing to. Otherwise, you better get really famous and really big so that you get a lot of people's attention, because otherwise you ain't going to make any money. Yeah, all really good points. I, I uh I was listening to the latest Joe Rogan podcast. He's got a guy on there named Jimmy Corsetti, and he's got a, a YouTube channel <clears throat> that he started back in like 2016. His focus changed. I mean, he was talking about early on about how a lot of the videos that he was doing um, early on, actually, he wound up taking off of his channel because the the focus of his channel just completely, it switched, it changed to what he talks about today and that's ancient civilizations. And, you know, he had goals of, of, you know, a million subscribers earning, earning X amount of dollars off of ad revenue. And he, he kind of fumbled his way through until he figured out what the formula was. And exactly to your point, Don, he, he figured out what the niche was going to be or the niche was going to be and kind of worked it backwards from there and then understood then what, what, how important the thumbnails were, how important the titles were, how important or unimportant the the write-ups were, what the most important thing was the actual content that he was, that he was putting out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To that end, I think, uh, you know, he, he's got it right now because he's, you know, he's got tons and tons of followers and he's making big bank off of the ad revenue that he's generating. You know, I talk to a lot of agents about, about this kind of stuff on the regular and they say, well, I want to start a podcast. And I'm like, okay, to one end, I really like having conversations. Okay. So what's the return on investment, right? You're going to, you're going to spend all this time talking to people, editing the content, uploading to all of these different platforms to maybe or maybe not get listeners. So to, to what end is it? All you're doing is wasting time, right? That's, that's the big question, right? Yeah. To what end? Right. Right. So yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it. So it sounds to me like maybe perhaps the principles really haven't changed. The, the idea of personal branding is figuring out like who you want to be, what you want to be, what you want that brand to represent and what, and then working it backwards and then understanding, especially today, the, the mediums that you can utilize to, to push the message in the branding. Yeah. And I think at that point you get into the Russell Brunson stuff where you start talking about, are you doing funnels? Are you doing flywheels? HubSpot talks about, I mean, what's your methodology? But again, that's all the stuff that comes later. That's, that's down here. People go, I'm signing up for, you know, I'm going to get involved in, I'm buying and like, why, what are you going to do? I mean, you, do you even have a clue? And you know, that you just talked about niches. I, I, 
I use that word a lot, but you know, there's, there's definitely reach, riches in the niches, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the things I became very aware of is that the more defined your marketplace is, the more narrow focused it is. We often think we're going to end up giving up business. And what in fact happens is we actually attract more because we're getting people who really relate to what it is we're doing. And uh, whether it's real estate, whether it's financial services, I don't care what industry, to be honest with you, if you're running a, a small business operation, if your presence is a part of it. And look, I mean, I don't watch a lot of TV and I can't say that there's a lot of commercials like this anymore. But if you think about how people represented their auto dealership or how they represented their whatever, it was a personality. Like, you know, we'd see these people on TV and we'd go, I'm going down to see him. You know, it's like. That that was the essence of personal branding was making sure people connected to you. And so that's where it really comes down to. And of course, you know, a lot of realtors want to tell people how great they are. A lot of people in financial services want to tell about what they're going to do for them. It's not about that. I can, can I relate to you? Do I like you? You know, like, you know, you trust you. Right. Those are the three we've always talked about. And the fourth one is remember you. Do I even have a freaking clue you exist? One thing that's interesting about that is. You know, people have talked about Tony Robbins because they know we're friends and they go, so who's the next Tony Robbins? And I'm like, I don't know if there is one. And it's not because there's nobody else like Tony. It's because it's about the marketing, because the market has been so segmented. There's so many people that are going to see a, a, a trainer or a, a coach of coaches who then teaches people how to, you know, have their little funnel. And, and so you look at people and, and I get asked all the time, do you, don't you know, so-and-so I'm like, no. And I look him up and he's got like, you know, 15,000 followers. I mean, he's not a big deal or she's not a big deal in the world, but they're a real big deal in that person's world. Mm -hmm. And they've got their own little mini followings. And of course you can make plenty of money doing that. I mean, there's plenty of, to be made, but it's not going to be the Tony, show. It's not going to be that. It's not going to be that grandiose. And I don't know that there's room for that anymore because the market has been so segmented. I don't think anybody will ever come out. That's a different generation. It's a different era that I think we're leaving behind. So Don, where can our listeners find out more about who you are and how can they contact you? Uh, you know, Don at success.com is probably the easiest one. And, um, uh, I've got a couple of different, you know, companies and involvements. Uh, uh, Don at, at expertpartners.com is another one, but uh, they're going to find me. I mean, it, it, I'm, you know, I'm pretty easy to find and uh, you check my social out, uh, the real Don Hobbs on Instagram. Uh, I'm not hard to find and I put my phone number everywhere and people call me on myself and I'm not, you know, I've just, I've always been pretty easy to reach and I just don't believe in, in hiding out. So uh, if anybody wants to, many won't want to, but if they do, I'm here. The lightning round. All right. So this uh, takes us to the lightning round. This is one of our favorite uh, segments of the show. So I'm going to fire off a bunch of questions for you. Uh, you're going to answer kind of off the top of your head. Oh, boy. <laughs> Number one, what is your favorite word? Uh, success. I thought maybe you could say Todd. Todd Just Foster. Say. There you go. There we Todd go. Perfect. Foster, my favorite, my favorite word. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I, I wasn't thinking you said word. I didn't think of name. My favorite name would be Todd Foster. My favorite word is success. And, and I run them All synonymous. Right. I mean, they were really joined at the hip. Yeah. 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 All right. Question number two, who do you text the most? Uh, who do I text the most? I text, um, hmm, 
Ben, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Allison, probably. She's right upstairs. Not now, but whenever she's here, I still text her. So probably, probably Allison. Question number three, what is your go-to pastime? It's going to be either fly fishing or golf. I happen to live on the harbor here, so I'm, I'm learning to catch big tarpon in Puerto Rico. And of course, we have two golf courses right outside here. So those are, those are my favorite things. I think we're going to have to, uh, somebody's going to have to host a success coaching uh, getaway in Idaho, maybe. We got uh, fly fishing and golf in Idaho, right? Idaho? How about Puerto Rico? Puerto Rico would be better, yes. Absolutely. Especially middle of winter. Yeah, for sure. You guys are always welcome. What is your favorite word in another language? Amor. Oh, that's a good one. All right. Last one. Question number five. What was your favorite subject in school? Oh, my gosh. Um, my favorite subject in school was <laughs> not Latin. Uh, let's see. My favorite subject in school was actually math. All right. Hated history and certainly hated Latin. Wow. Latin. They didn't even teach Latin when I was in school. Oh, it's a dead language. Yeah, it's kind of a dead language for sure. I was supposed to be a doctor. I was going to take Latin because they told me all that Latin would help me with my, my getting my doctorate. What has been your favorite pair of shoes you've ever owned? Good grief. You're, you're catching me. I, I could say that my Michael Jordans, I got some old school Michael Jordans with the, you know, the cool, like they're almost uh, vinyl uh, that I have now. I got reds and blacks. My, probably my favorite pair that had the most story behind it was a pair of Nikes that were yellow. I had season tickets to the Lakers for all the Kobe and Shaq years. And I used to have my seats were first by the tunnel where they'd all walk out later were at half court. But I'd have uh, the Lakers would come and rub my shoes for good luck every night. And of course, we were winning like crazy. So they they started to believe it. I started to believe it. I could get I could literally say the shoes are in the house and and some of the players would look up and point to me. And, you know, they, they knew that 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 pair of shoes was was what was making them this win streak. So clearly I had I have a big part in. Laker history, uh, three championships were mostly my responsibility because of this pair of shoes. You may need to go back because they are not doing very hot right now. They're not. And, and, and it's a shame I'm in Puerto Rico because I can't help them. I just can't help them. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Success Coaching Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow or subscribe to the Success Coaching Podcast at your favorite podcast provider. For special access to past recordings, videos of past episodes, and more, please become a Success Coaching Podcast companion at successcoachingpodcast.com.